everyone, this is Pascal, and welcome to the Info Jobs with Pascal. Uh, I want to continue to thank you for supporting by listening, and um, if you haven't already done so, please go to the in- Instagram page, the Info Jobs with Pascal, and follow our page and uh, share the content. So, I hope that you uh, got a chance to listen to the other episodes and. Today, we have a special guest, and not too long ago, we celebrated Father's Day, and some fathers got great gifts, got to see family, but today, I feel like the gift that uh, fathers and other men are going to receive is knowledge, knowledge on health, knowledge on how to make the proper decision about uh, what to eat, certain things that we need to avoid. But today we're specifically focusing on men's health. So to help us, uh, I have the pleasure of interviewing uh, Dr. Mario Teliard. Now, before we get into the discussion, I just want to say a little bit about his background. Number one, he's from where my mother, my mother's from, Gunaive, and he's Haitian. He uh, went to elementary high school in Gunaive, and he also studied medicine in Gunaive, which we're probably going to touch on in a little bit. Um, he has training and HIV. He has HIV training, I should say, and then I'll let him talk about that a little bit more. He also came to the States and was a, a staff physician. Um, he was a, a staff physician at Broward Community Family Health, also Found Care Health Center, and he was a medical director at Bethel Medical Group. He's been an instructor at NSU. Uh, he was a clinical instructor there um, at FAU. School of Medicine. He was a clinical instructor, and he uh, also was a med surgical instructor at Heart Associate Institute Nursing School. He has numerous experience with volunteering, which I'll also allow him to tell us a little bit about that. And I, I'm pretty sure th- this resume would not encompass what Dr. Delial has done over the course of his career. So Dr. Delial, thank you for joining us. I really look forward to this discussion. I hope that men like my father, my, my husband, everyone that I know can benefit from this. So how are you today? Wonderful. Wonderful. And thank you for the opportunity to to uh, talk to the community. Uh, this is the second time you give me this opportunity and I have to thank you uh, because of this platform that you put uh, in place and especially thank you for the invitation. Let me let me add one thing in the, let me, let me, let me uh, uh, correct one little thing in the presentation in the that you just, in the bio. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I studied in Haiti at the State University uh, of Haiti School of Medicine. It's located in Port-au-Prince. Oh, okay. Not go naive. Not go naive. Okay. okay. All right. And you also continued your studies here. Okay. You know, when you come to the U.S. as a, a, a medical graduate, mm-hmm. even if you study, even if you studied in the U.S., you, if you want to continue your career in the medical field as a medical doctor, mm-hmm. you have to take the United States medical licensing exam. 
Okay. Okay. Now, for the foreign graduate, you you when you take this exam, you will get certified by the Educational Commission for Foreign Medical Graduates. Once you get certified by the Educational Commission for Foreign Medical Graduates, you are uh, you are eligible to sit for the board, which is uh, the, the 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 board the, which is the final exam of the of the of the process mm -hmm. this board exam is uh, given by the federation uh, uh, of state medical board okay so when you came to the states you had to go through that process and once you go to, to that process then you can begin practicing here you have to do your residency uh, which i did in puerto rico okay uh that will give you that will uh, uh, that will entitled you to have your license to practice medicine in the field that you that you did your residence. Okay. Yes, I for, I forgot about that step. You do have to do go to residency and then uh obtain your 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 license. Now, Dr. Delia, I, I want to say one more thing. Uh since you mentioned uh the first time we met. So a few months ago I was doing a I was doing a fundraiser and I needed someone to give a presentation. So on one side, the women were with a different instructor. And on the other side, the men were with Dr. Delia. Now, I still to this day, I'm not sure exactly what happened with the men. But I just remember asking questions. Oh, so how did it go? And all I, all I get are a couple of smiles. And then all they kept saying was, he was really good. He was really, he was very thorough. So, but they wouldn't give any details. So I hope that some of those details can be shared here today with a broader audience. Uh, and then I guess I'll finally know what was discussed in this in the presentation. But I also wanna, I also wanna uh, thank you publicly because you did this. Uh, you you took you accepted this request to do it and you did such a great job and then you find uh, you also supported the the effort financially so i know you probably don't care for me to say that but i just want to say thank you because you devoted your time your resources and your knowledge your expertise so i just wanted to uh, take some time to say uh, to say thank you now, you just mentioned that you studied and also you did your residency in Puerto Rico. How long was that? It was in 2012. 2012. And how long did you stay there? I stayed there for three years. Three years? Okay. And is there a reason why you went to Puerto Rico or was that the best option at that point? Okay. When you're a foreign graduate, mm -hmm. you can't find medical residency. But it's not always what you want to do, and it's not always where you want to go. Okay. At the time, that was the only door that was open for me. I know that several doors, that was the only door that was open for me, and I took it. Now, why did you want to become a doctor? Well, I have to tell you that I, at some point when I was at the end of my high school in Gunai, the the, the tendency was to go straight to law school, which was not a bad thing, but that was not my choice. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, and I decided to go to PowerPoints and to, to take the the exam to get into medical school. I remember when I at the end at the last month of my high school, I was talking to my uh, classmate and tell them this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. Well, at the time when you are in the province, like a city that's not the capital, mm-hmm. when like you were in high school or you were you were a young boy, when they are talking about province, it sounds far, far, far away from your reality. And uh, I remember I said, no matter how far it is, I want to go for it. So, which I did, and I thanks God, I thanks God for opening the door because out of about twenty to twenty to thirty thousand uh, high school graduate that took the exam, mm-hmm. they were going to take only one hundred. Wow, you know what? <laughs> I've, heard of. I've heard of that. <laughs> Yeah, at the time there was only one medical school in Haiti, the State University of Haiti School of Medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know what, uh, Dr. Telia, I say that often. Finding a good doctor here, although it seems like it should be a, an easy thing to do, it's it's really not. I remember being um, something was going on with with me uh, in my mid twenties. I couldn't figure it out. And I remember I spent four months going to the doctor, going to specialists, and no one could tell me. And there's no there's no bias. I don't know if I have any special bias toward Haitian doctors. But I remember going to see one doctor who's my, who was my doctor and uh, uh, Dr. Moïse Florial. I don't know if you know Dr. Moïse Florial. I know uh, the name. No, the okay. name. It's probably not my generation. Probably, yeah, no, no, he, no, he's not. He's not. And it was a very simple, he just explained, it was just a very simple thing. And I, I was like, man, like those, this is, I've had to see how many specialists and how many primary doctors for him to just simply explain this to me. So I, I really think that that's why I'm having this discussion. I really think that we need to hear from people really care about what they're doing and care about the patient and t- want to take their time to teach uh, about health. So so you mentioned your experience in Haiti and also um, internationally. Have you practiced or volunteered anything else anywhere else outside of the U.S.? I uh, volunteered in 2017 uh, with uh an organization, a group of friends who invited me to join the organization was uh, Impact in the World Through Healthcare. Okay. I uh, went to Haiti with them. We went to two places in Haiti. We went to Okai, a city in a, a, a neighborhood in the kind of Moriso, and we went to Laksbonit also at Dejin. It was a very good experience, and uh, that also opened my eyes on the huge uh, need that we have in Haiti for the countryside, for the remote area. Mm-hmm. In most of the remote area in Haiti, they are underserved. So it was very difficult for me to see that, because first of all, my dream was to stay in Haiti, to work in Haiti, in the, in the city where I was born, 
but some for some reason I could not stay. I could not stay. So I this experience, this volunteering experience opened my eyes in the needs over there. So as I as I'm talking to you right now, my heart is still with them and it's not over yet. I will go back. Mm. Yes, it, you know, I remember spending my summers there in Gonaive. I wasn't raised in Gonaive, mm -hmm. but I remember sp spending my summers there. I don't know if you know Riel Dupiton. Very well. Okay, so my, my family was from there. We, I, am, I, I am from Gonaive. You went for a vacation and I grew up there. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. But I'm just saying, I, I can imagine what you're saying. I can imagine what you're saying because I remember even over the summer for that short period of time, how beautiful mm -hmm. and how so pleasant it was to even spend the summer there. So I can imagine growing there and why your heart is still linked to, you know, where you're my from. Hometown. Yeah, your hometown. And earlier you mentioned that they are underserved. Do you mean that there aren't uh, many hospitals there or clinics? What do you mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah? They, they, they don't have enough facilities and they mostly don't have providers. Okay. Okay. And we even, even if when, for example, you as a provider, you go there, if you want to offer some service, you want to do some procedure, it will be very difficult for you because you might not have enough material. You may not find medication for this for, the, for any condition that you would like to treat the patient for. So it's very, very difficult there, okay, to practice when you, when you know the academic medicine, and when you go to the field to apply it, you see the difference. So it's like you don't know what to do because you cannot apply your your knowledge. The needs are there. The knowledge uh, is there, but there is no facility, no, no material to give the service that you want to give. What do you think is lacking? Is it uh, funds? Leadership, leadership idea, vision. Are you saying leadership as a community or it would have to be maybe with the government? At the higher level, because what one of one of the one of the things that will keep my attention is in Haiti they basically treat disease when the disease comes. But here in the US you mostly do prevention. Okay, so you so they treat the diseases when the diseases come you said you said and then here okay so here okay. we do prevention we treat disease but we also do prevention we mainly do prevention that's the thing this this is another way to tell you that most of the kids are not vaccinated okay females don't have prenatal care okay no women health no like adult People, they don't have the checkup. They might never know how the blood pressure is even when they are 50. Okay. Okay, so we, we, don't, we don't have prevention. The very few percentage of people that can have access to that, as I said, it's very few, and it's in some of the big cities. Okay. 
Now, all, all of that sounds very cumbersome when you want to do something, you want to help, but you're, you, you don't have the resources to do exactly that. You mentioned it, how difficult it was for you in 2017 when you went to volunteer, but I would like to know what was the most difficult moment for you in your, in, as, in your career and what was the most satisfying, the best moment as a doctor? The most difficult thing, as I told you, it's not only in 2017 when I when I went back to to volunteer. It was mm -hmm. when because before moving to the US, I did my residency in internal medicine and at the State University Hospital of Haiti, and I worked there in Haiti for three years at the at an infectious disease center in Yeskio. Okay, so uh, it's. When, for example, you are the heart to serve and you are serving in an area like Haiti, you may be you may not be able to choose the most difficult moment in your career because every single day mm. can every single day you have challenge and this challenge can become okay, as the challenge are coming, they are more getting more and more difficult. Okay? They are getting more and more difficult. I remember one of my experience was when I was uh, uh, with open heart surgery team in Milo, patient Haiti. I was with the open heart surgery as the internal medicine practitioner to do the pre-op for the patient that come for surgery. But I also saw patients that come for the regular internal medicine conditions too. I saw a lady who came and in outpatient clinic. Okay, I diagnosed her with uh, diabetes. It was a uncontrolled type two diabetes with a lot of complications. Okay, when I was giving her the prescription, mm -hmm. she was not able to afford the insulin or the syringe to take it. Okay, this is the first time that I'm talking about that. Um, although it was a hospital like uh, uh, founded by the some Catholic uh, organization in the U.S., but the patient had to contribute somehow because insulin is very expensive. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what I had to do, I made an arrangement with the nurse. Okay. I sent the nurse to buy the medication for her and the nurse gave her the medication. I tell the nurse, do not put my name in any step of the process. I sent the nurse to the pharmacy, bought the medication for her. And uh, we also had to give her money to go back to, to go back home. So which leave me without money in my pocket this day. I say, okay, that's not, that's not the problem. I will be able to go to car patient, go to the bank and get money when I come back. Okay? Mm -hmm. uh, the day after I went to car patient and get some money and come back. But there was an unfortunate event that happened when I left to go to car patient. I mean, they blamed me because I was not there. Okay? But I could not explain to anyone why to anyone why I was not there. <laughs> okay. This is my first time talking about this situation. Okay. Uh, 
okay, I went to my room. Say, God, you know why I was not there? And I had to leave because I only had the chance to pay the, 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 the transport to go to Cartesian and to go mm -hmm. to the bank and get some money to come back. Say, God, you know why I was able to stay? I had to leave because I had I need money. I had to go to the bank to get some money. And you know why? I did not have money. I did not know. I don't want to say. Okay. So, okay. Things happen. We stabilize everything. And um, when the team finished, the, the open heart surgery team finished, they flew back to, they, they went to Puerto Rico. And uh, it was my time to go back to Puerto Rico. I went back to Puerto Rico. That was a very difficult moment for me to like to see the lady situation, a medical condition, and a lack of economical support to take care of this condition. That's one of one of uh, difficult moments. Yes, I'm. Okay? I'm pretty sure. We, if you take the residency, that's part of the practice also. Okay. From 1999 to now, it's, I don't want to say, to say I'm old. I'm not <laughs> as young as I was when I was in That's medical okay. school, but I'm still young. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you're just older. You're not old, doctor. You're, you're older. No, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to say old. I want, I want to say younger, young, younger, youngest. Okay. okay? I don't right. want to say, I don't want to use old, older, oldest. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I respect that. Okay. Uh, so... That is unfortunate. And I, you know, I think that there's a, the, I, as difficult as that the decision was, I'm not going to be the one to say that you made the right decision, but it seemed like for anyone who's listening, I, you know, it seems like you made the right decision. And um, I can imagine over the course of how many years, several decades, a couple of decades you've had, especially if you were in Haiti, you had many situations like that where you were forced to make a very difficult decision. Um, on that very same note, what would you say was one of the best memories as a doctor? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I do have a lot. Okay. But what I want to remember was I would, uh, she was uh, late 10, early 20. Okay, young, beautiful, female, full of energy. She was from Bosali. She was admitted to the hospital for, I, I was in, in my internal medicine residency in Haiti. Mm -hmm. She was admitted to the hospital for a cardiovascular condition. I diagnosed her with mitral valve disease, and uh, we confirmed the diagnosis with uh, uh, ECHO. And the, the program director, the internal medicine program director, was a cardiologist, Dr. Philip Carina. When I presented him the case, we, we partnered with a team at uh, uh, Jackson Memorial Hospital at the time, we we contacted them, and they uh, uh, accept the girl to come to Miami 
for the for an open heart surgery to change the mitral valve. And uh, all along the process, I I went with the family to the U.S. Embassy to get the visa, get the process, contacted the hospital, everything. And uh, uh, she went to Miami and had the surgery. And uh, a couple of months later, I was in the hospital doing my daily routine. And I heard someone say, Tocatelia, loud, Tocatelia. The person moved her hand like that for me to stop. And she was running to me. She hugged me with an energy, <laughs> okay, an energy that I've never seen. I was not like, I can't, I forgot. I was confused because I forgot, totally forgot. When her mom who was after her was coming to me because she was running to me and her mom, her mom was walking to me. I said, oh, that's you. She said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I could not stop. Like, uh, my eyes were in tears, and, mm. you know, and... Uh, I saw them, I talked to the mom, I talked to her. She said, finally, I can go back to school, uh, uh, finish my high school. She said, I want to go to, I want to study either nursing or medicine. I said, go for it, girl, you can do it. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so that was my uh, last time seeing her because that, that was at the end of my residency in the hospital. That was my last time seeing her. So that was a very good moment that I can remember. I mean, there's a lot of them for mm -hmm. people, good and bad, so a lot. And I and I appreciate the, the to uh, just hearing that your heart is in what you do. I think that makes for just the best practice uh, when you really care about the people you're helping. So now, Dr. Tilia. Let's begin the discussion <laughs> um, on men's health. So I wanted the listeners just to hear a little bit about your background, because I think that's important. And the latter part of this, we're going to be focusing on men's health. Um, I can't, I'm going to let you speak and I'll, I guess if, when I have questions, I'll ask and if I need you to cl clarify certain things, but you're the expert here as a male yourself. So your point of view uh, is important. So can you tell us a little bit about um, annual visit and your experience with men in your office? Um, I'll let you take the lead with that one. Okay. The annual visit is the general screening that anyone, baby, infant, adolescent, young, adult, elderly, need to have once a year for adults, it can be more than once a year for children. Okay, it's a general screening that you that you that you have with your primary care physician. This gives you an opportunity to look for disease that are asymptomatic. You don't feel symptom, okay, but the disease is there, it's silent. When you go to your primary care physician for adult or to a pediatrician for kids they can find some signs, some silent signs, some symptoms that you can neglect. They can even do some blood tests and find some results that require some more attention. So that's what 
uh, an annual visit is for. The annual visit, you do it. You don't need to feel sick to go to do it. You do it. It's you do it annually. Okay, so it's a checkup. It's just when when you take your car to the mechanic for a tune-up. That's what you do for yourself too. Now you know that men, especially our fellow Caribbean, they are very reluctant to go to the doctor. Very reluctant to go to the doctor. So I would like you guys were listening to us to understand that you might feel healthy, okay? You have strength, you can carry heavy load, you can do this, you can do that, you can do this, you can do that. But please, please take a moment in the year to see your primary care physician. And when you go to your primary care physician, if everything is okay, it's not a waste of time. Mm -hmm. It's a very important information for you to start the, to start a new year, okay? And I usually tell my patient that the day that you do your your, your, your annual checkup is the January 1st for you. <laughs> okay? It's that you start the new year with your annual checkup. So once you do it, if everything is okay, but you might do it if you, for example, you come to your primary care physician for your annual checkup, if you have a chronic medical condition, you have to be honest with your primary care physician to tell him or tell her if you were compliant in the medication that you were taking for the chronic condition. Like, for example, if you have high blood pressure, you were prescribed medication for the high blood pressure. If you are non-compliant, be honest with your primary care physician. Why is that be important? Honest. It is important because if you don't comply, if you don't take your medication uh, uh, regularly, the high blood pressure can create some silent damage in your eyes, in your heart, in your kidneys. Those damages can be discovered only if the doctor digs deeper in his exam or in his test. Okay? So when you do that, you help the doctor going to another you have the doctor to go to the left care doctor something is happening with the sound i'm not sure so if the you said those those symptoms can only be detected if the doctor does what okay high blood pressure can create some damage some silent damage asymptomatic damage Mm -hmm. that the doctor can discover only if the doctor, for example, send you to do a retinal exam, you can see if you have some damage in your retina due to the high blood pressure or to the diabetes. Okay. Or the doctor can send you to do an EKG. Basically, the EKG is part of the annual checkup too, okay? But the doctor will insist that they want to do this EKG today to see if there is some chamber enlargement, some... uh hypertrophy, chamber hypertrophy in your heart. So he or she can take the decision right away, either to change the medication or to give you some more advice or to reinforce the counseling to be compliant. Uh, you said hypertrophy, is that what you said? What is yes. the word? What hypertrophy. Is what is that? Okay. That was an example that I take, okay? We have to remember to go back to this. Yes, of course, of course. Okay. When, for example, you have some, the patient have an uncontrolled hypertension, high blood, the blood pressure is not controlled, 
the heart has to work harder to push the blood. Okay? And you know the heart is a muscle. Okay? The harder the muscle works, the bigger it becomes. Mm. Okay? That's a good analogy. If the heart has to pump harder, the muscle of the heart can become bigger, which puts you at risk of having hypertensive congestive heart failure early in your life. Okay. No, the reason why I ask if so, if you say something, you say you mention a term, I think it's important for the listeners, uh, both okay. men and women, really mm-hmm. should know exactly what that is to so that they can understand the risk um, of not going to the doctor. Uh, annually. Now, you were talking about uh, exa- the importance of an annual checkup. And mm-hmm. can you specify on what it entails as far as a man? So when a man comes to see you in your office, how, how do you conduct an annual checkup? Well, basically, until you reach the point where you have to make the difference, an annual checkup for men and women, they are basically the same. Okay, except for the women, you have to send for the gynecologist for some specific checkup. But for the men, you have to make sure that if the man is over 40, if the you have to check the prostate. Nowadays, they mostly check it in the blood. Okay, you also need to check the testosterone in the blood. But in the when you're taking the, the person history, so you have his daily life, check to know if the person, like at the end of the day, at some point of the day, the person is very tired, extreme fatigue, because there is no point for a 35 or 40-year-old man to feel tired every day. At this point, not only you have to check if the person doesn't have anemia, but you also have to check if the person's thyroid. Further, you have to check the person's testosterone level, because this testosterone is, is what makes a man men okay because when the testosterone level is low the person may feel tired like 35 year old men with low testosterone will feel very tired compared to a counterpart with percentage it is not normal a person like that you have to check the thyroid you have to check the testosterone if you have some abnormal results you have to even go deeper to see if the person doesn't have some major problem in the pituitary gland. The pituitary gland, which is the gland in the brain that commands almost all the other glands in the body. Now, for men, the testosterone is very important because not only it make, if it's low, it makes the men feel tired, but also it can reduce the person. Uh, libido, sexual desire, and sexual performance. Okay, it can reduce, it can significantly affect affect this this uh, physiologic part in the men. That's why instead of buying things in the gas station or ask for pill or try to do stuff, no, you have to go to your doctor, talk to your doctor. Okay, if you like, it happened several times that. I have to ask my patients how they are doing, how this, this, how is your libido, how is your sexual performance, okay? What did your wife tell you about your sexual performance? 
because most of the time our patient fellow, I don't know for this new generation, but I have different generation of patients. The older generation, they they don't like to talk about the sexual health. And sometimes to have some information, you have to pull it from them. I can imagine. Okay, you pull it from their, from, from their mouth or from their mind so they can tell you. Sometimes when they are not able to, to tell me, I say, oh, you know what? I'll see you in two weeks or talk to your wife or bring your wife because we have to talk. So... It is very important that you communicate with your doctor. One thing is, like, when the primary care physician is a female, my patient fellow, they don't like to talk to female doctor about the sexual performance. And uh, when you don't want to do it, if you don't talk about it, the doctor is not a psychic. It's not, a, like, a, as you know, in Creole, we say, onga. The doctor cannot guess for you. So it's very important to talk to the doctor about that. And if your testosterone level is low, pay attention to that. If your testosterone level is low, no matter how much Viagra, Viagra you take, no matter how much Cialis you take, it will not do anything for you. Mm. Now, can you go in, into that a little bit more? Because that's not what is advertised. What's advertised is once you do this, once you take this pill, it, it's a game changer for you. So how can you convince the person uh, is maybe thinking about going that route that is probably not the best route? Well, if you, if you, if you realize that your sexual desire, which is the libido, and your sexual performance is not the same, taking Viagra or taking Cialis may not be the definitive result you have to check your testosterone level. If the testosterone level is normal and uh, you, your sexual performance, your sexual desire is not the same anymore, it's also very important to check to see if the person is not depressed. Because depression can put you so down that you cannot do anything. Okay? It's very important. Another problem with our patient fellow, they don't want to admit that they are depressed. Okay, when you know? when you search, I'm sorry. You, do you think they know how to detect that? I, I'm not sure. They I'm do. convinced that they that they they all know. They do, and the first step in the one of the first step of the annual checkup is is to do what we call the PHQ nine, which is the depression screening. If the person have a PHQ nine over five, okay, it's important for this person to see a mental health professional, okay? And our, most of our, of our Caribbean fellow, when you refer them to psychologists or psychiatrists, the first thing they tell you that they are not crazy. But remember that depression can reduce your sexual performance. I know it's very important. Sexual performance is very important for you guys. You might not, you might not even need to take Feel to feel better if you can improve your your mood. Okay. Now, if the testosterone level is okay and you improve your mood, you might need a booster, Cialis, Viagra. Just need a jump cable to continue the word. <laughs> okay, that's <laughs> <a good> analogy. <laughs> yeah, a okay. jump cable. 
but if you if your testosterone is low you may need taurine mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay i just got that yeah, i don't I know if the listeners heard <laughs> so you may need it yeah yeah okay. you need the taurine truck to drag you now at this point I, at this point at this point if you are less than 40 and you don't have any prostate problem, okay, your primary care physician can prescribe you the testosterone to take based on the level of your needs. But if you are over 40 and you have some prostate, you start having some prostate symptoms, like prostate symptoms, like if, for example, the person is trying to pee, but the stream of the urine is weak, or after peeing, the person still feels some urine in the bladder, or if the person has to strain to you in it, in this situation, you need to see a urologist. A uh, urologist? Is that what you said? Yes, a urologist. The urologist, because the thing is, when the person is taking the testosterone, which is, and it can be a testosterone injection, it can be patch, it can be a testosterone palette. The testosterone palette is like an implant that you put on the person under the skin that releases the testosterone on the frequency. Uh, the physiologic frequency try to copy the testicle the same way the testicle is it's releasing the testosterone. When the person is taking testosterone, it tends to enlarge the prostate. Even the normal prostate which will get a little bit larger. So imagine a person who's, who've already had a, a big, a large prostate. So this person can, it can aggravate on, on the line big prostate. Or you can launch some symptoms and requested that was already big and that was asymptomatic before. So that's why at certain age, it's better to go to the urologist to either prescribe you the testosterone or evaluate you to know if you can take testosterone. Okay. Is there a way to avoid um, going that route? Is there a natural way to make sure that you keep your testosterone level high or normal? The answer is going to be not too long, but not too short. Okay, my young fellow male, I know at certain age, young males start practicing masturbation, which is part of the the process of knowing your body. But at some point, you need to stop it because with masturbation, some male can progressively destroy some testicular cells and those cells they are the one producing the testosterone okay if you reduce your testosterone cells progressively either by trauma or or by like uh, some position where you it's described in the book like for example if the, the the testicle are squeezed too much and they become painful when they are getting killed, they can, can have scar tissue replacing the normal cells, which can lead to an underproduction of testosterone. So it's something that we need to prevent at an early age. Other thing that can help, physical activity, sport, physical activity, especially aerobic exercise. You can still do like weightlifting. Okay, weightlifting is good. It helps you having a, boy, a main body shape. That's good. I always tell my patient, it's always good to have a main body shape first. Second, at least you have to be able to carry your wife. Okay. 
<laughs> that's always my advice for them. <laughs> so, so still try to be able to 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 bench a little bit. Like me, I can bench like I can bench one twenty one thirty. Okay. No, I couldn't I'm tell not... you if that's good or if that's bad, doctor. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I can bench. I can bench one thirty. When I if I if I if I have someone to help me, I can bench one forty. Because mm-hmm. my wife is not that big, so um, I I manage to be able to bench the, a little bit more than my wife's weight. <laughs> so so I, it's it's always good to have some main body shape, okay, to to work your muscle, not only. And also to do some cardio, not only it will help you physically, but also it will push your limit in your daily activities. Okay. Okay. You will not get tired, get like trained at the end of the day as someone who never exercised. That's one. Second, physical activity, like especially aerobic exercise, it helps it help the blood flow in your body in general, especially in your genital area. Okay. That's why I don't know how young are the people that are listening to the what I am I'm giving my medical expert. Mm-hmm. When men and women have physical activities, they increase the blood flow in the genital area. You know female orgasm is more difficult than male orgasm. When a woman exercises, it requires more to reach the orgasm than a male. Which is not a bad thing, it's a good thing. When a male exercises, you can do more when you're having sex, either to change position or to adapt your cardiovascular system with the movement because it's a, it's a sport. It's a good physical activity, so it will require that your cardiopulmonary system work more. So the blood flow during the exercise is helpful, but the sport on its own may not help the men last longer. Okay. It will improve the blood flow, but may not help you last longer. That may will require that you save your energy, not like destroy your body, save your energy for your wife, your partner, your spouse, so you can satisfy your a partner when your partner needs it. If the... Because to understand better when I say like uh, for men to last longer, in the sexual activities, there is what we call the simulation, where the two people are simulating each other. There is, once the simulation is done, they are doing the intercourse. They are, the, the, the men or the women are reaching a phase named phase plateau. This phase, the longer the men can stay in this phase, the better it is to help the woman reach the orgasm. Now, the man with age, this phase can become shorter with age. So when, for example, someone take either Cialis or Viagra, it helps with the simulation. It can it help also and maintain a longer plateau phase, a longer plateau phase, which will help the man satisfy the woman. Now, after the orgasm, there is also a refractory period. The refractory period is the time that the system takes to rest and to be able to get another stimulation. 
This refractory period, if you go to the basic cellular physiology, it's basically the same. Now, this refractory period, it's the younger you are, the shorter the refractory period is. You can see young, 17, 18, 19, they just have orgasm and start over. Start orgasm, start over. But when you start getting in 25, 27, 30, you have to have some rest. In the 40, yeah, you have to have good rest. Sometimes you may, you may even need a, a jump cable. <laughs> but early 50, late 50, the, the older you are, the longer is the uh, uh, refractory period. So in each of these period, if you exercise, it can help in each of these period. And the more you save your energy for your spouse, the better you will be performing during the sexual TV. So both weightlifting and cardio, they're both important. They work together. Yes. We, you don't neglect. Because the only reason why I'm coming back to that is because I do know that there's a there's a special focus sometimes for men when it comes to weightlifting and not enough cardio. But cardio not only is good for that, but it's also good for the entire body, your organs. So we definitely want to encourage that. Go ahead. One thing I, I, I was about to forget as you saying that, mm -hmm. when you do cardio, you will need less medication, less Cialis or less Viagra to boost you. You will need much less. Five milligrams of Cialis can boost you. 10 milligrams of Cialis can boost you when you do cardio because the cardio has already increased your blood flow. And this medication, what they do, they increase the blood vessels in your genital area and allow you to have a better erection and the reaction can last longer. Does it also help with your your dietary choices? Does that also have something to do with um, the way that your body functions? And well, definitely that, but also your <laughs> also your performance for men. Of course. Let me go back all the way back. When you come for your checkup, the doctor will check your general metabolism. When I say general metabolism. I said the sugar, cholesterol, blood pressure, everything. You see, all these major metabolic, all the major metabolic diseases, like either metabolic syndrome, high blood cholesterol, high blood pressure, diabetes, prediabetes, obesity, exercise and diet, those two are the cornerstone in the management, in the long-term management. Now, when you have a good diet, like if you have like a very well-balanced diet, your body will have enough nutrients to supply the entire organ, okay? To help you do what you need to do physically. You have enough energy, enough vitamin, enough uh, 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 protein, enough fatty acid, enough amino acid to do what your body needs to do. Okay? Um, if you're healthy, you need a nutritionist to balance your diet and to help you in your daily activities to know exactly what you eat, how much you need, how to, to do the distribution. 
that depend on if, for example, so someone has some medical condition that requires a specific diet, this person may need a dietitian to tailor a diet based on this person's uh, condition, age, and goal. So definitely diet will help rehydration, okay, very important. All these things, they, they are very, very, very important. So you may need the, the, the input of a dietitian or a nutritionist. And is, are you drinking water when I talk about rehydration? <laughs> <laughs> I take a sip of water. So definitely diet is very, it's a very important point in that. So I want to mention, um, I want to shed light a little bit. The reason why we've spent so much time on men's sexual health in this episode is because we women naturally know, I'm sorry, women are just naturally more in tune with what's happening with the body, certain choices to eat well. Now I've met some men who are extremely knowledgeable on what to eat. Um, I need to eat this, stay away from this, drink lots of water. But I think sometimes socially, the lifestyle that um, most men tend to um, keep is one that is, let's say that if you if you go somewhere, we know that men tend to engage more in barbecues and they, you know, drink more beer or drink more alcohol. So how would you say that those choices may uh, slightly affect the health of, of, of a man? Okay. Let me start by saying that before menopause, more than nature favors women over men. And in the sense that the estrogen protect them against some major cardiovascular disease, some damage that the cholesterol can do in the blood vessels. But after menopause, we are at the same level. Mm. Now, this is to tell you that it's important for men to start the prevention in the diet as early as possible. I know type of food like fatty food, grease, barbecue, cheese, those like shrimps, crab, lobsters, uh, the fast food, the fast food like steak, hamburger, red meat. Those are the food that can increase your cholesterol. That's why I said earlier, it's very important in the choice that the food that we are making to have a, a, a dietitian coach in the choice of food that we are making. When you say men tend to go to barbecue, to... it's true, it's true. But uh, if barbecue is like uh, pork meat, if they are lean pork meat, it's a white meat. But the fact that's surrounding those making the difference between the, the muscle and the fat, sometimes it's very difficult because even when you are eating the grill, you can see the fat tastes better. So most of the time I feel lazy and don't want to put the fat away. So, I mean, I take the example on myself, but I know that I may not be the only one. So it takes 
always who make good decisions and follow food that tastes really good, especially our Asian food. And when you're in front of the menu, it's take, it takes courage. And uh, I always say that you start the diet in your shopping list. You don't buy the thing and go home with it and pretend that you won't, you won't eat it. No. You start your diet in your shopping list. I can tell you my wife is a dietitian. And I am the I, I, I am her first patient. I manage to be a good patient uh, when she's there. <laughs> <laughs> well, she'll probably hear but, this. I'm sorry? I said she'll probably hear this. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably, but she knows. <laughs> uh, when she's there, I manage to be a good patient, but resisting patient food is not, is not easy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, if we can stay away from this, because one thing that the, 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 the high blood cholesterol can do, the high blood cholesterol can increase, uh, uh, it can go, can go to your blood vessels, okay, and create some plaque inside of the blood vessels. Those plaques, they are the, 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 the cause of cerebrovascular accident that the layman calls work, they are the cause of coronary artery disease that the layman call heart attack. They can also create obstruction on some major blood vessels in your kidneys, in your genital area. So if we can prevent those things, that's, that are very, 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 very important to think about preventing them. Lifestyle, some lifestyle like tobacco, alcohol, those lifestyles, for example, they may require, they may be very difficult to quit drinking, to quit smoking. It may be very difficult, but it's an investment in your health if you can quit those things. Because tobacco put your body at a level of stress where it can aggravate any pre-existing condition or launch anything that was not there. Like your blood pressure may may be may be uncontrolled the fact that you smoke. Okay, alcohol also can damage the liver, can increase your triglycerides, can make it very difficult to control your your cholesterol. When you're young, you're drinking alcohol. Okay, alcohol put you on it and, and uh, give you a, a fake feeling of, but the damage. Are gonna come after it can damage your nerve, can damage your heart, can damage your brain, can also affect your sexual performance. So all these things, those these lifestyle change, they are very, very, very important. They might require intervention of mental health to help you to resolve them. So let's make this effort. Things that will come anyway, we cannot do anything for them, like age. The fact that you were men, those you cannot do anything for them. But tobacco, diet, alcohol, those things we can change them. We can do something for them. So let's make an effort to see if we can correct those things. I know it's not it's not easy, but let's make the effort. I watched this uh, presentation, and this person, the presenter, made such a um, a good analogy when 
when talking about prevention, she said, it's better to put fences at the top of the hill than to have ambulance, bunch of ambulance trucks at the bottom of the hill. Do you get that? I thought that was so profound. It's better to have <laughs> fences at the top of the hill than to deal with a with with so many ambulance trucks at the bottom of the hill. So I thought about that when you mentioned taking preventative uh, steps to not get to point where now you're trying to uh, reverse something that has happened in your body. It might be too late or it might just be really, really hard to do that. I do remember that you said that in prison in the presentation a few months ago, uh, just so that the listeners can the listeners can understand the focus on sexual health is because that's that's what piqued their interest. It was um, when you started talking about that area, and it seems like they were engaging a little bit more. And I actually think this information is good for men and women because you mentioned something earlier. I felt a little convicted because I love shrimp. And I love crabs. And I You're not the know. only one. You're not the only one. I try to hit them, I cannot. You said what? <laughs> I try to hit them, I cannot. <laughs> I can't hate them. You but you know what I do, doctor? Which I'm not sure how well that, that's working. I tell myself, well, I'm exercising. Well, I, I go on walks, I live across the street from a park, so I run sometimes, and I know that oatmeal is good for for to help your cholesterol level so i'll tell myself well if i eat shrimp today i'll just eat oatmeal tomorrow or i'll just eat oatmeal in the morning if i know i'm going to have crab crabs later on and i know it's not good and i need to slow down but i don't eat it often but you just try to give yourself a good reason to eat the shrimp i know (laughs) doctor can you tell us what especially you find when men come to see you are they honest with you do they tell you why they they don't like to come um, every year or they they might go one year and then they don't feel like they need to go until another five years what do you find in your in your practice well most of the time they say they feel healthy they don't feel anything so they don't come most of the time um i I have experience with a lot of uh, Jamaican, I mean, the Jamaican population when I used to work in the world, they take the husband to the doctor. Oh, you you mean the wives? Yes. Oh, they take them? <laughs> they take the husband to the doctor, okay. that, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, talking also talking about the uh, depression, I just, uh, well, our Haitian fellow, especially the men, they feel that uh, admitting that they, they depressed is a sign of weakness. It's a sign of weakness, so they just don't want to consider that if they are depressed. So I, I always tell them, what you feel, you're not the first one feeling what you feel. People have had this experience before you. They, they write it in books, and people study to know how to help you in your situation. So it's not a sign of weakness to, to, to admit that you are depressed. You need help and help is available. Just thank you. Yeah. And if you're not sure, that's the importance of going to see a doctor because they do administer the PHU-9 that gives mm-hmm. you some idea of where you might be. And if you can, if you'll agree with me, doctor, cardio also helps with improving your mood. So if you find... Of course, that, of course. 
Now, the thing is to find the source of the, of the depression, either stress or either something from your past that you have that has not been dealt, dealt with. But I really encourage everyone really listening to try to, to be a little bit more conscious of what you're thinking and how you're feeling and to not uh, overlook them. And just think that this is something that is normal. If you've been feeling this way for a very long time, it can begin to feel normal. But it's very important to look into it. And I think um, going to a, a doctor to detect whether or not it's in fact depression is a good idea. Doctor, so you've been you've talked about the the physical benefits, uh, even the psycholo- psychological benefits of going to the doctor, getting your annual checkups. But what could be some social benefits to making sure that you care for yourself? Okay. What I can consider as social benefit is like you take care of yourself, okay? You prevent medical conditions that could hook you in the hospital bed or at home. So you available on the on the market to work to take care of your family. So that's uh that's that's one of the that's one of the major benefits because when you are the head of a family, you sick, you have uh, not only you're not available to produce, but you are spending money. Okay, even if you have insurance, you spend money anyway. So it's uh it's it's very important to consider that that's one other uh, uh benefit that it has it helps you identify other conditions that you might have and uh, once you identify them if they are genetically transmitted transmitted you can start doing prevention in your children to 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 help them have a better quality of life or to protect them against uh, any condition down the road. So it makes you available, okay, to help your family, your community in general. And um, I agree, doctor. And often what we find is that whenever there is some, someone is experiencing a medical crisis, it's usually the family that has to step in to care. I remember my mom used to say this um, when I was younger. I didn't feel the need to put on a jacket when I'm going out in the cold because I just felt so strong and I was going to be okay. Or I didn't feel the need to properly put a scarf around my, my neck or uh, wear close toe shoes or sneakers whenever it's cold. And I think about this when my mom used to warn me, you're going to get sick. And, you know, as a teenager, you just think that your parents don't understand or they're trying to force something on you. But if I did get sick, my mom would have to step in and care for me. And this is the same person who had been telling me, you might want to consider doing this. You might want to consider avoiding this. Because at the end of the day, if I do fall sick, my mom is going to, my parents are going to step in and help me. So I think the way that we can help our family is also making sure that we are making the right decisions for ourselves because when we fall into a a situation, the family usually with sometimes very limited resources and time has to step in and care for us. So I, I, I wanted to add that. And doctor, as we are wrapping up, is there any final notes that you wanted to add? One thing that I, I I didn't have time to talk about in detail, 
is in, in sexual life, there is also what we call sexually transmitted disease. Our machist society tend to blame women once there is a sexually transmitted disease and they couple. Mm. <laughs> okay. That's and, interesting. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry? So that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. When it's uh, a couple situation, I think it's the best thing is not to try someone to blame. The best thing is to resolve it and prevent it. If, for example, you come to see your primary care physician, if you have history of sexually transmitted disease, disclose it. If you have some risky uh, sexual behavior that can put yourself or your partner in uh, at risk also, disclose it because uh, your sexual health is part of your health too, okay? Sexual health is not only sexual performance, blah, blah, blah. It's also sexually transmitted disease that you can transmit to your spouse, you can transmit to your children. Disease that can make you have some offspring with, uh, with damage. So it's important to talk to your, to your doctor about this condition. And once you get tested, if you see that you have it, you need to get treated. You and your partner need to get treated and prevent the repetition of uh, of this condition. So it is very important sometimes if, for example, the male is diagnosed with a condition, uh, sometimes the person who's diagnosed with the condition might not be the one who bring it to the, to the, to the couple. But the tendency is to accuse the person who first got, got first diagnosed with it. Mm-hmm. That's why I always counsel uh, the couple. The best thing is now to treat it to prevent any complication. Okay. Later on, you can have some counseling to know how you can prevent, prevent it. Okay, Counseling either from the doctor, family therapist, or from marriage counselor, whichever it is, to fix things that's not going on. Because uh, sometimes if there is sexual, if there is like, if the couple is not satisfied sexually, they can may try to find some satisfaction outside, which is not good. The things that are one or two sessions of counseling could resolve, it can bring into like, uh, extramarital affair, bringing disease, gonorrhea, chlamydia, and the worst HIV to the couple, which we don't expect. So, like, try to do it in the right way. As I said uh, last time, it's not a waste of time, and don't consider your primary care physician as like someone, someone who's trying to get your money. It's your partner and your in your risk to have a better quality of life, okay? And uh, the primary care physician is in the center of your, of your health. If he discovers something that he cannot manage, he will refer you to a specialist. So be free to talk to your primary care physician. It's not a waste of time or money when you come for your checkup. It's an investment in your health investment for yourself and for your family. Um, Dr. Delia, this was 
Great. I have to review some of this again, because I don't want to miss some of the important points that you've made. But you did mention HIV. And unfortunately, we are not gonna, this would take another episode, really, but you do have some training. So can you quickly share some of your training when it comes to uh, working with HIV patients? Okay. As I said earlier, I work at uh, an infectious disease center in Haiti named Gestio Center. It is still open in Haiti, helping people. I worked there and I also did some research with them. When I moved to the U.S., okay, I uh, continue my, my, my experience in working in HIV. You remember earlier you asked me a question of what was the most difficult experience that I had. So having to disclose the HIV status of my former high school professor to his wife for him was one of the very hard, very difficult experience that I had. So as you said earlier, talking about HIV will require another episode. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not only in terms of prevention, management. Okay, counseling, what it involved to help a person living with HIV feeling that they were. Okay, mm-hmm. so it it involved uh, an entire logistical system to 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 do that. So if you have some specific question about HIV that I can answer right now, you can ask me. But uh, remember that HIV will require another topic. It's another topic that will require another episode. Yeah, and I I want to do it justice. I would like, hopefully, in the future, if 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 you uh, agree to come back, because I think we know just general information, just information about HIV. It's something that we tend to try to shy away from. Like we say, no, it's actually over there. But some people, it's a really close. It's a really close issue to to them because there might be a a family member, a friend that has HIV and maybe they don't understand it. They might just disappear from that person's life. They don't, they're scared of it because they don't understand it. So I want to give that topic some justice. And if, if you agree to come, come back in the future to have a a discussion about it, that would be great. But Dr. Delia, I know that you have, if anyone wants to, I know you're in the West Palm Beach area. West Palm Beach area, yes. Okay, and you have a clinic there. Uh, tell us how to find you. Where is your clinic? It's Beetle Medical Group. It's located at 6045 Agenor Road, uh, number four in Lake Worth. Uh, the phone number is 561-619-9961. Okay, I remember I sent you the picture of the card. Mm-hmm. The video of the the video will be available soon. I'll also add the the information in the show notes. So if they okay. someone is uh, looking to contact you, they can just review the show notes and they'll have the number, the email, the address. Dr. Delia, I really believe, I mean, I assume that it was going to be a great conversation, but I believe that this is probably one of the best gifts that men could receive for the month of, are we still in June? Yes, we are still in June for Father's Day. So knowledge is a gift. And I, I truly believe that. I would say you can always rewind this, but please take this information, take notes, pass it on. You mentioned something earlier, Dr. Delia, 
You said that making sure that you know about your own history can help your children. You can begin to implement some changes even in your household. That just benefits society as a whole. It starts with these micro, um, on the micro level. I really like the point of not being hooked to a an IV on uh, on a bed somewhere when you have so much to give. You have so much to share. So many gifts to share. One day, this body is not going to last forever. We're not invincible. But as much as we can to try to live a quality as long as we can, I think it's worth it. So thank you again, Dr. Delia. And for the listeners, thank you again. Uh, Again, please continue to listen to the, the podcast support. And if you have it already shared, follow the page, please go to Instagram and follow the page at The Info Jobs with Pascal. Thank you again. And until next time, bye.